You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast for therapists about things that show up with our clients, the things that we do with our clients, the ways that we show up in the world. And this being October, this is recognizing that this is Bullying Prevention Month. And we decided that we would talk about working with clients around bullying and particularly around the being the target side of things and bringing in some of our experiences of working with clients and admittedly our own roles in the bullying cycle <laughs> i know from my end of things i'm not proud to admit it but that i bullied some people when i was growing up and i can only assume katie on your end that you were a giant target for bullies on your side so i i actually was <laughs> really i was just trying to poke fun <laughs> at you I was, I was, uh, I was bullied for how I looked physically. I'll just say that. But I think some of it was teasing and some of it was bullying. So I guess we'll have to sort out what that actually was. But yeah, I got, I got uh, what today's kiddos would call bullied. I got, I, I had some of that. That's a great start into this because I don't know if I'm moving into just being old and being like kids these days are too sensitive but I see reports that over 90% of kids are reporting being bullied these days. And thinking back to the days of our youth, I have to wonder if bullying rates are really that high or if they are just what has happened in the last 15 or so years is that awareness about bullying has increased so much that now just what you're describing as teasing ends up being called bullying and that there's kind of an oversensitivity to what bullying actually is and nobody's really defining it. That's possible. I mean, I think it's always been described to me that like middle school kids are mean or all kids are mean or there's the mean girls, there's the 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 things that can happen. Boys will be boys. You know, there's there's so many different ways that we talk about kids that doesn't acknowledge that sometimes they're just pretty cruel to each other that to appropriately label it as bullying, I think would be very helpful. And there are times when it might be something where we've gone too far. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of times when something becomes popular to claim and it is overclaimed, but I don't think that diminishes forever uh, the the impacts of of increasing awareness. Sure. So there's no universal definition of bullying, but amongst the research on bullying, researchers tend to agree that there are three essential elements to bullying. And this is what we're building our episode around and some of the interventions we talk about. So those three pieces are, it is ongoing behavior that this is not a one-time sort of comment sure. or interaction sort of thing. The second is that the behavior is intended to be harmful. And the third is that there is a power differential between the aggressor and the target. Okay. So those three components needing to be in place actually 
to me back up that, okay, a lot of what's being reported by kids might not actually be bullying it because it doesn't meet all three of these factors. So ongoing, that's pretty self-explanatory, something not just one one comment, but ongoing comments. It's it's built in over time, like this is happening. The intention for harm, who determines that? Because oftentimes what I've heard is like, oh, well, it was just a joke or I was just being silly and it was harmful. And so when we look at intention for harm, someone could be a jerk and not intend to be harmful, but they're harming a lot of people. Does, does that mean they're not bullying them if they don't intend to harm someone? What you're talking about is intention versus impact. And okay. one of the things that we will get into here is the way that aggressors in these situations use their social skills, which are usually a lot more advanced than the people that they're targeting. And I'm very careful to use the terms aggressor and target in these situations that uh, I don't want to use terms like victim in these situations because I don't sure. want uh, people on the receiving end of this to feel like they are doing something wrong. And we'll get into some of the risk factors of that throughout the episode here. I think you're bringing up a really important point as far as what the intention is now. You may not be surprised about this, but I do a lot of jokes and things that <laughs> not surprised in the context of how you know me, you know that a lot of times my intentions are to be irreverent and funny and not all of the times am I funny. I've got a 99% success rate here, but we do are. <laughs> do you though? Do you though? <laughs> but the intentions to harm people are absent as far as I'm concerned. And that doesn't mean that there aren't people out there who, you know, are receiving things in the way that I intend them. I would venture to guess most people would not consider what I'm doing bullying. And I think that what happens is we're trying to look at in the research, typically children or, or teenagers who are being observed from kind of an outside perspective rather than an individual psychological perspective. So okay. we're not necessarily asking the aggressors for what their intentions are. We're not necessarily asking the targets what the impact was. We're doing it more from an observational sociological basis. Okay. And so it's little column A, little column B as determined by outside observers here. Okay. So there's... The ongoing nature, intention to harm, and what was the last one? A, a power imbalance. A power imbalance. So how is that determined? Because power imbalance could come from a lot of different places. Exactly. <laughs> I refuse I mean, to elaborate. <laughs> Because there's, there's like teachers bullying students. And I actually saw that when I was growing up because, you know, there weren't cell phone cameras. But there's there's then fellow students. Theoretically, that's not a power imbalance. But I, you know, when I was bullied, it was by boys. And, you know, there sometimes are and, and a group of boys against little old me. And so if that's the case, I felt a power imbalance. Like I couldn't stop it. I couldn't do anything. I could try to walk away. I could ignore it. I could try to make jokes about it. But it was something where 
I felt an, a power imbalance. So there was one or two guys with an audience making jokes about my physical appearance. I will even expand upon this and say that power imbalances can include things like popularity, that having even a social power imbalance, a different socioeconomic status sort of thing is a power imbalance. There's a lot of ways to define this. And one of the things that you're describing is a actual potential physical power imbalance. And that's going to be true when things like physical bullying are very much present. Sure. Okay. So you can't be bullied by someone that has less power than you. If someone is punching up at you, that is not bullying. What is it? (laughs) That is someone punching up at you. All right. All right. Most of what I see in my practice is parents bringing in their kids about being the targets of bullying. Uh, This is where a lot of the interventions come in. And a lot of what I hear from these clients is consistent with what's in the literature that I've tried these things. They haven't worked. People have been telling me just to ignore it or to move on. That doesn't work. The adults in my life don't end up seeing most of what's happening. And this has been true in the research since back in the 90s. Dan Olweiss is one of the founding like people into bullying research and reported that over 95% of bullying is not witnessed by an adult. And that seems right. And, you know, I, I look at, you know, the, the worst people on earth, which I describe as middle schoolers and (laughs) having worked in a middle school before and coming from the background that I have, that there is so much interaction that happens passing in hallways in lines that is just almost inaudible that Mm. is just constantly either not seen it's ignored because it's passed into that kids are going to be kids sort of things yeah but especially around that age where they're not having the same teacher all day long that they don't get to know the kids in the all day long interactions and so it's very very easily believable that Most of what we're seeing, most of what we're not seeing, is what these kids are starting to feel helpless about. And this is really being able to take these kids and be able to give them some of the skills that allow for them to no longer be targeted by aggressors. And one of the things that I kind of openly share with a lot of clients is that There are plenty of well-meaning people in our field, like Katie, who have been on the receiving end of bullying (laughs) and are like, bullying is bad and we should do something about it. I was bullied as a kid and I don't want anybody else to feel this way. And they come up with these, you know, wonderful sounding, caring interventions that don't do anything at all to really help move kids out of this state. Uh, you're great therapists at being able to hold some space for these kids and help them express their feelings. But one of the things that I point out to my clients is I unfortunately did do some things to some people in my life and made them, you know, feel bad. And I know the kinds of things that as a bully made some people more resilient and made it harder to bully them. 
that made me move on from them and do something else with my time because I wasn't getting out of this, my, my bullying quota. Um, <laughs> Your bullying quota. All right. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, it's a union sort of thing. Like <laughs> <laughs> You were part of the bully union. Okay. Good to know. Maybe maybe we take a little side trip uh, before we head into some of these interventions and just talk about the different types of bullying. Maybe that helps just so people know what we're actually looking at. Yeah. So there's a few different ways that bullying shows up. I think the most obvious one is physical bullying, where yeah. there's some sort of physical aggression um, and this can include anything like hitting, kicking tripping, punching, damaging people's property. Um, physical bullying causes both short-term and long-term damage. Yeah. And it's something where the physical bullying is oftentimes the most easy to identify because there might be some sort of injuries or property damage. Like you can actually see physical impacts of this type of bullying. I, I think sometimes it gets caught because the the person who was initially bullied punches back or or does something and then gets in trouble but i think there's that element of when it when it comes to fisticuffs <laughs> when there's actual physical... are, are, are you sure that the only reason that you were bullied was the things that you had listed earlier <laughs> it wasn't middle school using... katie using old timey language <laughs> that's malarkey <laughs> You were a bee's knees kid in a that's awesome world. <laughs> I pretty much was. So I, I think when we're when we're looking at physical bullying, when when there's actual hands thrown, things are happening, at some point adults are gonna see that. And like you said, it's usually when there's a response back to the action and depending on where the response is, a lot of schools have things like zero tolerance policies, which are yeah. horrible when it comes to this because it doesn't get to the core of why some of these situations are happening. But it does take that kid actually, you know, finally responding and standing up for themselves that makes them kind of respond in this way. And oftentimes that's met with administrators and parents being like, we had no idea that this was going on. And mm -hmm. speaking to that 99% of stuff just not being observed. Yeah. Another type of bullying is verbal bullying. This is name calling, insults, teasing, intimidation, homophobic or racist remarks, verbal abuse. And oftentimes this can start off pretty harmless, but can escalate and compound over time. And verbal bullying oftentimes fits into more of a relational stance or a social stance, like where it's it's providing negative feedback on the person, but it also may be causing to isolate or causing to to uh, be seen as different or those types of things. There's not the physical impacts, but oftentimes this bullying is pretty critical and, and working with adults who've had this before, it leads to a pretty harsh and a critic later on. Mm -hmm. And this extends into the next type of bullying, which is social bullying. And this is sometimes called covert bullying. Uh, it's often harder to recognize because it's carried out behind people's back. And this can then extend to things like lying and spreading rumors, 
making negative gestures behind somebody's back, menacing, contemptuous looks, playing nasty jokes to embarrass or humiliate them, uh, encouraging others to socially exclude someone, and damaging someone's social reputation or social acceptance. And I think in those things, I think about growing up, I was probably a bystander in a lot of those things. Like I was on the outskirts of the popular group and whoever was the ringleader, so to speak, would ostracize a certain person and I would go along. And and that's that's hard too. You know, like mm-hmm. there's folks who are actively engaged and the folks that are tacitly accepting or extending it. And that makes me sad. And then the last one is cyberbullying. This is intentional and repeated harm inflicted through the use of computers, phones, and electronic devices, whether it's over social media, texts, and any of those kinds of things. And these can be done publicly or privately, and whether it's known only to the target or to multiple people. And this can also include things like gossip and rumors, deliberately excluding people from online things, imitating others, using their logins and posting things that are ridiculous from that login device and that kind of stuff. So I was not cyberbullied when I was a kid. I didn't have to worry about that. That wasn't a thing. And and that's actually problematic for some of us older clinicians who did not grow up with this and Mm -hmm. don't understand just how pervasive that can be as far as connecting with other people online and ways to intervene with that as well. Yeah, I, I think it's it's something where in talking with folks who are not digital natives, for example, folks who just maybe don't even go on social media that much, like they don't have a sense of how your social your social life is in your pocket, how your aggressor is in your pocket, how your so- social support is in your pocket. I mean, I think the the role that social media and technology plays in folks' lives these days, if you aren't learning it as an adult, for example, if you're not like practicing cyberbullying on Reddit, then <laughs> you're not going to know <laughs> what what the situation looks like. So I think it's it's something where this is very much something that if you've not taken a cyber class of some sort to to catch up if you're not a digital native uh you really need to. I want every teenager who's considering working with Katie to just listen to her describing that and making your decision of is Katie a treatment <laughs> provider and working on me being cyberbullied. <laughs> I'm getting bullied right now. This is what's happening. <laughs> a lot of the clients who get brought in talk about you know the, these repeated actions that are happening against them. And there are some really practical steps that I end up working on with kids. And it is escalating in response to the types of escalations that aggressors would be using in bullying situations. And for especially a lot of younger kids or early stage sort of things where it is teasing that could just be teasing, it's being able to kind of pass off on the jokes, just kind of like, okay, when things aren't funny anymore, when it's not like, okay, I rolled with the first one, but it's happening again. It's being able to work with kids on, okay, you can't just ignore the bully. 
We we all know that ignoring doesn't work. You've probably tried ignoring things before. The aggressor is still doing these kinds of things. It's because you're just sitting there. And oftentimes what the aggressor has is a group of people that they're entertaining. You know, yes. all of all of the click or the social group around them. And so a lot of times what ends up happening is they start teasing the target and the target doing their best to ignore is just sitting there. And then the teasing just turns to something like, oh, you're even too stupid to respond. Like, yeah. And so it's something where a lot of times one of the factors that aggressors have is a more robust set of social skills. And it's being able to adapt more quickly to things that are socially changing, even in the moment. This also plays a role in the reporting on the people teasing them, because the more socially adept kids are then better able to convince the adults around them. Oh, no, we were just playing. We were teasing back and forth. He teased me. I volleyed a tease back at him. If we're adopting Katie's old timey language, <laughs> it was all in good fun. Cheer, cheer. <laughs> <laughs> but ignoring does not work, especially in repeated sort of attempts. Because what feeds aggressors in these situations is the response back. There, there's a charge that comes mm -hmm. to aggressors. It feels good to put somebody down, especially if the audience around kind of is like, ooh, like, you know, if you've ever, you know, had a, a good insult and we've been working together for five years, I'm still waiting for one, but. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> Continuing to get bullied on this episode. <laughs> No, but what you're doing right here is you are doing one of the robust sort of things, which is not feeding into it. You are Got giving it. it a acknowledgement of this is happening, but I'm not going to feed into it. I'm not going to fight back against it because what some kids end up trying to do is no, stop. And to yeah. an aggressor, that's just like a, oh, you have laid out the feast in front of me. This makes mm. it all the easier. Like there has to be some conviction to what's happening. And that's the next step of this is it's being able to assertively say stop. If kind of the passing things off. Oh, okay. I know you said that. And I'm just not going to feed into it. Like sure. that's, that's how to ignore it. It's not just blame. It's not just don't say anything. It's no look at it give it a, a little shrug and then go back to whatever it is you're doing. If it continues from there, here's this level two intervention. It's assertively be able to say, stop. Yes. I don't like this. Stop. Now, most aggressors are going to be like, or what? Make me. <laughs> right. Exactly. And this is where the second level of intervention is where a, it, it can often be very short because, mm -hmm. but why kids don't end up doing this a lot of the time is because when they say stop and it doesn't stop, they feel defeated. Yes. Yeah. And and this is where a lot of well-meaning adults are like, well, just tell them to stop. I did tell them to stop. It didn't work. Yes. Yeah. There's no, there, there's no way they will ever stop because I've told them once and it didn't work. Right. And this is where, Again, going back to the definition of this, this is repeated behavior. Confidently, repeatedly tell them to stop. And in response to that or what, it's be prepared to escalate this to a trusted adult. Stop or I'm going to 
the teacher. I'm going to my parents about this. I'm going to the principal. I'm going to somebody in a position of higher power or authority than you in order to help me in this situation. Now, a lot of kids don't do this for the fear that they will then get teased for being a snitch. Sure. Or continue to be bullied for this. And this is where a lot of the research actually suggests that when it's escalated to a safe adult and the proper interventions are happening, it actually diminishes a lot of bullying behavior at this point. Okay. But it's convincing the kids of this that's actually yeah. the hard part in your office. Like, you don't know what it's like, like this other kid told and now he gets called, you know, you tattled and all this kind of stuff. Our job here is to help you not get bullied. Mm-hmm. And this is where I'm emphasizing going to a safe adult because a lot of targets report, I have asked for help. I've asked for help several times and this people just aren't responding. You know, I told my parents that I was being bullied, but I didn't really explain much about it and they never did anything about it. So I never brought it back up to them. Seems like when you're in a pretty helpless phase of of this, where you're feeling targeted constantly, you can't leave it because it's in your pocket. So whether it's physical bullying at school or verbal bullying at school, that continues on to cyberbullying a lot of the time. And so to me, it's something where if you can't escape it, you're really in a learned helplessness stage. And so I think being able to boost confidence, to boost you know, kind of how they feel about themselves, the, the the ability to do the first two steps, which is kind of let it roll off their back and then have a strong statement to kind of respond to it, to stop it. I think it gets really hard to escalate it because it doesn't feel like that there's much hope. And I know we did, we did a couple of episodes on suicide specifically about uh, some parts on teens as well, but this is one of the reasons that kids who are bullied oftentimes seek out suicide as an option because they don't see a way out of it. And so I don't want to diminish that, oh, we just have to get them to tell and that'll solve it because I think a lot of kids first off have a difficulty getting there. And I think especially kids who are in pretty high risk populations, whether it's marginalized identities or those types of things, the teachers may not evaluate it as bullying and or not do anything because, well, you're a this kid or you're a that kid. Like, of course, you're going to get bullied. You just have to stop being that way. And so I, I want to acknowledge that there are systemic issues here that we have to be aware of because some folks are going to consistently get bullied, not because they're not confident, because of some sort of way that they identify, some sort of way that they show up. And, and that's part of their identity. I don't think they should change their identity just so that they don't get bullied. I agree with you mostly because... Yeah. Remember that the worst thing that you can be in middle school is different. Of course. And part of being able to minimize your risk factors, especially in that kind of an environment, is minimize the amount of things that make you different. And but if, if what makes you different is who you are. Agreed. And I'm, I'm making space for both here because okay. there is some situations where like, all right, kid, you got to accept that you're being bullied because you stink. Like you need to shower more. Like this is if if what if who you are is stinky kid, you are signing up to be targeted by aggressors in middle school. 
I hear you. And I think that there there's a room for both understanding the reality of the situation and trying to shift the societal norms that means that, oh, you know, if a kid. Okay, great. Whatever shift, reason doesn't- shift societal norms. That's great. In the meantime, kids with physical disabilities, you know, this is something where it's very obvious. It's different. Those kids who are aggressors are going to continue to pick on those kids and bully them in the meantime. You know, this is one of the frustrations that I have with a lot of well-meaning therapists is, yeah, we should change society. But in the meantime, these kids are getting picked on. They're getting targeted and they need strategies to be able to deal with that. Some of the things that they some of the things that they can change, they should change because this is about being able to hold space for both themselves. And this is part of the the deeper process of being able to work through this is being able to accept like, yeah, I'm different in middle school. The world sucks. People are going to make fun of people who are different. And these are ways that I'm different. And here's social skills that I can learn to roll with it. But at the end of the day, if I'm taller, shorter, developing faster, developing shorter or developing later or any sort of other thing that I can't control, part of what I have to do for myself is accept how I'm different and take ownership of that. Because confidence as we pointed out earlier, is one of the things that makes it to where the aggressors move on to somebody else. I think for me, the thing that I see that can be a really hard line for clinicians to walk is ownership and pride in who you are versus masking or going back in the closet or whatever it is. I think it is something where each person has to decide how much they that they're able to do. Because if, if it if it sounds like either let your freak flag fly and, you know, good luck, hopefully you don't get bullied or on the other extreme is hide everything and your identity makes you wrong. I think either way we're, we're getting folks in trouble. I think we can try to put social supports around folks that have things they are unable to change. And I think we can work on empowering them and and increasing their self-confidence and their ownership of who they are. And I think we also need to recognize that if we go too far in telling people not to be different, we are we are invalidating their their identity. And if we don't go far enough and we don't help them to be part of society, they may continue to get really harshly bullied. But either one is damaging. And it's not a binary situation here. No. But I but, wanted to, but I wanted of, to but point it of, out. But part of being able to work with clients like this is those kids who are like, I'm getting bullied for liking anime when really what it is, is they're getting bullied because they tried to go super cyan in gym class in front of all of their peers. And it failed miserably. Like there's a difference between being interested in something and having that be a part of your identity versus doing something that's just socially, just very out of place and and confusing the two. I, I get that. And I think that there's probably a an agree to disagree here right now, because I think that there are there are things that when we empower folks to do more of doing silly things in the middle of class, well, not class, gym class, someplace they're not going to get in trouble with their teacher. If we empower people to be themselves and more people are themselves, I think there is a positive there. But I, I get that that in the meantime, they're still going to get bullied. So I, I understand what you're saying. I'm, I'm trying to speak to the nuance of it where we have to understand that telling folks to conform 
to be safe may keep them safe now, but then they come into my office as a, as a, an adult completely unsure of who they are and having masked or hid the closet or not said anything about themselves for a very long time. And, and the, the kind of the, the stereotype of the folks who do the best, who have been bullied most of their lives and then make a career out of it, comedians, also die by suicide for the very same reason. And so I think it's something where we have to honor both where they are in keeping them safe now, as well as their identity development and who they are going to become. There is space for both. But I think in the short term of being able to handle the bullying situations there's a small amount of trade-off here okay and yeah there is longer term work around identity development and expression and that kind of stuff and part of that is you know depending on the age range of person that you're working with some of this stuff does fit in with adults here as well but i think that when it comes to actually dealing with bullying this is one of the things where that trade-off I know from my personal lived experience of being on the aggressor end of things that what you're talking about just continues to subject these kids to aggressors over and over again. And if what we're talking about is some confusion years later about identity development versus being pushed into suicide earlier... I'm going to take the approach of let's give you some practical skills right now that we might have to deal with some collateral damage on later when it comes to who you are as a person and how you express that. But in the meantime, if you're going to, you know, grow out your hair and, you know, style it like a Padawan in high school, (laughs) know what you're signing up for here as far as like, yeah, these are some of the insults that you're going to face. And this is, some things that you should have some skills as far as how to embrace responding back to this. And and this ends up in some of the sessions that we have where it's like, okay, let's figure out what it is that kids are likely going to say to you. So that way you can practice responding back to it in ways that de-escalate the situation and make you harder to be a target. Okay. I mean, I, what I hear, and, and I think potentially both of us got a little bit binary in our argument here, but I think, what I'm hearing and what I what I like is meeting the 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 kid, the teen, even the adult where they are, understanding who they are as an individual and helping them to create armor for these places where they might be targeted. And so that they have the resources they need and recognize I'm putting this on here mm-hmm. because this is how I survive this particular setting, not who I am is unacceptable. Right. Okay. I can I can get behind that. And I think that's something where a lot of folks have done that automatically, you know, and and yes, again, I have them later in life trying to figure out how do they really truly know themselves because the armor is pretty stuck on, but fair enough. I will I will allow it. And so, you know, sometimes when I get to this stage of treatment with clients, you know, kids are like, oh, so you're going to tease me in session? I'm like, absolutely. Like, this is a safe <laughs> space where we can break things down. And they go, so my parents are paying you to bully me? And I go, no, I'm just using my <laughs> skills for good. <laughs> so you're talking about role playing so they can practice the skills yes. for uh, for when they're going to be faced with actual bullies, not 
therapist Kurt bully. And so the next level of intervention is when it continues to escalate from here, when they've said stop, when they, when these, you know, skills of, all right, I'm paying attention to this, I'm giving the good responses. If those don't work, it's following through and going to one of those trusted adults. And part of the strategies in session is identifying who those trusted adults are, because a lot of these kids have asked for help. It's identifying all right, if I go to this first teacher and I say this is happening and it's escalating and I need help and they don't respond, here's the next person I'm going to go to. And here's the next person I'm going to go to. So that way it's not just relying on, okay, here's, I have enough, you know, confidence to be able to ask once and I didn't get it. And so nobody's ever going to do anything. At the same time, it's now getting parents involved to intervene, especially if these things are happening on, at school grounds, if it's happening on a sports team or any sort of other environment where it's not just the kid facing it themselves, it's helping the parents be able to escalate the situation and intervene at a parental level as well. And oftentimes this is moving into you know family therapy type situations. It's being able to be the squeaky wheel until something ends up happening that shows good follow through and consistent follow through. That is, again, not just a one time sort of step that many parents need to make here. Well, and I think including the kid in the process to make sure that they are aware and on board and able to be part of the planning process of how this is going to handle. Because I think with kids who are bullied, oftentimes it's control being taken away from them. And so whatever control that we can give back to them to try to manage their own situation, I think the stronger it can be. Yeah. So we're, we're getting close to the end here. We're actually over time, but um, I have a question for you around kind of the school interventions that can happen like mediation where they have the the person who is engaged in bullying in this particular incident, this the person who has been targeted by bullying in this particular incident, and they come together in a room to try to resolve it. What do you think of that? A lot of times it's done very poorly. It's supposed to end up in some sort of shaking hands. And then that is where I've seen a lot of schools be like, well, we took care of it. It's done. Bullying is solved forever. Uh, It takes repeated interactions to be able to actually change. And in these situations with the intention of actually mending these things, but really sometimes the best intervention in these cases is agreements to not be in the same space and working in this case with targets on appropriate avoidance of aggressors. And uh, where I think that a lot of, the intention that we have in the one-on-one work with kids is help them to not be the target. You're not going to fix bullying by working with one kid in your office. You're, this is a systemic problem. This is a, yeah. a social problem that is not going to get fixed overall. And so if you are to help your client, it's help them not be a target, not yeah. fix bullying. But on a well, more... I'm- But on a more systemic level, when it is schools intervening in this kind of stuff, you brought up the term bystander earlier, and this is the people surrounding the situation. It's encouraging bystanders to be able to talk up to to the aggressors and be like, hey, that's not cool. Yeah. 
and because there's safety in numbers. Yeah. Well, and there's also the, if you, if you get rid of the audience, that could be helpful too. I mean, I think that's where a lot of prevention programs go because it's, it's the, the whole society, whatever it's the school, the team, whatever it is, like if they then say, we're not going to allow bullying to happen, they stand up to the aggressor, they support the, the, target, whatever it is, I think when we can get bystanders and that's how we actually shift it societally. But as you said, I think when you've got an individual in your room, um, that is about them not getting bullied. It's not about fixing the whole situation. I just, I get so cautious because it's a lot of people have had a lot of bullying in their lives and it really is pretty, pretty harmful. And that's where the intentions are of if you're doing one-on-one work, help your client to get through that situation and and help them get out of it. You can do all of that wonderful identity development in addition to that, but it comes with accepting the space that they're in for what it is, not what it should be, and being okay. able to start from that ground level up. So... We would love to hear your thoughts on this. If you agree with me, hashtag Team Kurt on our social media. <laughs> and if you want to be. Or if you agree with me, hashtag Team Katie. Also join our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Group, and become a patron if you want to support the show. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes.